Hello and welcome to the Empathy for Breakfast show. I am Mimi Nicklin and I am your host of a show that travels the world, talking to people from all corners of our planet about empathy, about our ability to connect and to understand each other and how that is changing our world. These conversations won't only unpack the amazing power of empathy in our societies and our businesses, but they will remind us that we are all far more alike than we are different. I believe that there has never been a better time to talk about empathy, to talk about our need to reconnect as people, as human beings. The more the world talks about empathy, the more empathy the world will have. So let's get talking. Hi everyone. Today's conversation was actually recorded in 2020 with Tom Fells, where we discussed business as a force for good in our world. He's an incredibly wise man doing some amazing things in the business world, the space of conscious capitalism and conscientious business. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So with that in mind, I'm incredibly excited to introduce Tom Fells to you today. He is an evangelist for conscious business and for all things focused on transformation and how we balance capitalism with humanism, with a representation of real wellness, health and growth in our organizations. So Tom, I'm incredibly excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Mimi. It is great to be on the show and it's also great to be back in touch with you, having known each other for 10 years. Oh my gosh, yes, over 10 years. And I feel, I was thinking about this this morning, that our journeys you know, started really similarly in the advertising industry, doing our thing, then sort of went away. And now we've both ended up in a really similar space in the world. So really excited to hear a little bit about you. I have so many questions. I don't even know where to start. But why don't we just start with telling the listeners a little bit about you and what your business does, who you are, and how you ended up in this sort of really sort of leading space around purpose and growth. Um, yeah, and B Corp and, and how you're doing that in Southern Africa. So tell us more. Yeah, thanks, Mimi. That's a lot of questions. It's a wide open playing field. I think first of all is to say that I hit a realization at some point where I thought to myself, who I am and what I'm doing is not perfectly aligned. And there must be a version of my future out there somewhere for me in which I could reconcile those two pieces. And in doing the work that I'm doing now, which is very much about navigating and guiding businesses on this journey towards consciousness and more inclusive thinking, uh, I've definitely achieved that. And so I finally feel like I've got my groove, having had experience like you, seeing into many of the world's most famous and successful brands and seeing really what makes them tick. You know, each organization has its own individual characteristics and it's got strengths and weaknesses, but being able to see into all of those businesses and actually extract those learnings and and ultimately make a blueprint of what good business looks like in society today. um, It's a tremendous asset to have when dealing with leaders in any industry, uh, having had such diverse experience. And you talk about business as a force for good. Obviously, you're based in South Africa, so you're looking at it from an African context, I'm sure, most of the time. But from a global point of view, what what is that? What does that mean? What does force for good mean when we're in the business world? I think we've got to we've got to realize that business doesn't exist in a vacuum. Uh, and in your work in empathy, you realize that you know even if you break it down into a smaller component, it's people that make up businesses. 
and businesses that make up economies and economies and, you know, purchasing consumption transactions that make up society. And so you can't divorce any of those pieces from one another. And looking at the macro context of what's happening in the world, I described it as a, we're at the end of a pendulum swing where we have a complete excess of power and of greed and of, you know, consumption and exploitation and a complete lack of care, compassion, love and, and empathy. And so a recalibration is inevitable. And I spend a lot, I spend a lot of my time looking at patterns, updates, releases, what the world economic forum is doing, what the United Nations is saying. And we might feel like we're divorced from those. Uh, organizations and their work, but ultimately they're shaping the macro narrative with the biggest businesses and you know heads of state in the world. And so I think if you if you sort of wind that down to say, well, what is the role of business in society? I don't believe personally that governments or individuals can address the ills that we're facing. And I think business is one of the m- most massive and powerful leveraging forces that we can use to change our collective destiny. And so there's an urgency around it now, whether it's COVID or climate change or inequalities specifically in the African context, we're just seeing this tremendous need for change. And actually that tra- that change now is being demanded by consumers and by society. And so there's an inevitable shift that I've seen very, very clearly. Uh, and I think the writing is on the wall. And it's really just a case of how, who and why. And I put my hand up to say, well, I'll be one of the leaders of the movement. Um, I've allied my business with the B Corp movement, which really is an organization that is uh, leading at the very forefront of this move. It's features a number of three to three and a half thousand actually of certified businesses which reach the highest global standards that are verified and become certified B corporations. And it's not just about getting a business certification. It's actually about them stepping into a leadership position where you're advocating for change, for more inclusive thinking and ultimately towards more widespread stakeholder capitalism, as it's called. You know, it's so fascinating. And as I said, I I really uh, have so many questions about that because it is, it's so tied to what I'm doing. It's so tied to this movement in the world. When I listen to you just now, a quote comes to mind from the Dalai Lama because he said, business without a concern for others is exploitation. And uh, listening to you there, I think there's, you know, lots of times with what you're saying. For for sure, as a society, as people, as individuals, as you mentioned, we have recognised this. We have recognised that work can cannot make us sick, that work cannot damage the planet. I talk about regenerative leadership and regenerative businesses. We should be regenerating as we grow and as we thrive. But tell me, Tom, when you're talking to clients, when the rubber hits the road, when people have to pay you your fees and pay for this change, because it's never a cheap change, nothing in life ever is that's really worth doing. How are the businesses? How are the clients? How are the CEOs? Not from a mindset point of view. I get it. They're all buying it from an action point of view. What are you seeing? That's a great question, because I I, I believe most CEOs you'll speak to around the world will believe in doing good. And they'll believe that impact matters. But then walking the walk and being inclusive when it comes to uh, employees, the community, uh, supply chains and so on, that's very hard work. And so ultimately, uh, what I've realized and what they've realized is that this is a journey. You cannot switch this on overnight. I think it is ultimately led by ethos. So the visioning work that needs to be done to set the direction for the organization needs to be complemented then by deep culture work and leadership work. And then looking sequentially and systematically through the different dimensions of business to say, well, let's let's take this blueprint and lay it over our operations. How can you know how can we affect change here? And it might be that you set goals and if you consider 
things like commitments to net zero carbon, some of those goals are by 2050, but mm-hmm. those goals are in place. And then it becomes about eating, you know, what is essentially a, a big cake, one bite at a time. And so it, it really is a committed journey. Uh, I think I constantly search for and I'm asked for evidence to support this uh, in respect of employee engagement, profitability, resilience, et cetera, et cetera. And so all those reasons to believe become incredibly important. What I think is happening now is there are more and more studies to evidence that this is the the long-term sustainable way to go, not only from a uh, inclusivity and sort of consciousness uh, perspective, but actually also from a profitability perspective that yeah, maybe maybe you might be sacrificing some short-term profit to to affect change in the business today. You know, through COVID and even looking you know f- further back from that, you look at these businesses that are highly aligned to ESG standards. That's environmental, so- social, societal, and governance-related standards. They've been far more res- resilient through COVID, and so ultimately, we know that these. Climate change events are not going away. They can become more dramatic. Uh, and, you know, society's inequalities seem to be accelerating as well in terms of the wealth gap. So, you know, ultimately, the factors that are pushing us in this direction are only going to exponentially increase. And so it's actually enlightened leaders that are making the first moves now to make sure that they don't end up becoming redundant or irre- irrelevant in five or 10 years time. I like that. I like that term about enlightenment or, or sort of illuminating the issues and looking at the future. I, like you, talk about, um, so I guess the middle of that, what did you say, ESSG, so the, the, yeah. the middle part of that, yeah. right? The, the real sort of social uh, human part is what I'm really focused on. And and just like you, constantly ask for data. Um, and now I'm very well versed in it. So I say it before anyone can ask, right? So when I'm presenting, when I'm talking, I, I go out of my way to say, guys, this is not just me, me saying this because I like it, or I'm passionate about empathy and, and humanity. Here is the data. And, and this is um, what more emotionally intelligent organizations and leadership can do for your teams. So given we share that pressure, right, that data-driven show-me ROI pressure, from sort of the top of your head, why is doing good for people good for business? What type of things do we see when organizations look after their people? You're laughing at me. When they look after their people, why do businesses grow? Why is it good to be good to people? All right. Now you've asked for the mother load. So, <laughs> you, I'm, actually... so I'm going to sit back. I'm going to sit right. back and you can, you can give it to me. So I think there's a number of dimensions and it it really talks to that holistic view of business. One of the major determinants of success in business and the economy is capital markets. And uh, often there's concern around uh, shareholder centricity and whether shareholders will invest in businesses that take a more open and, and sort of holistic view on their operations. Now what we're seeing is the biggest capital market players in the world, people like BlackRock, who is the biggest asset manager in the world with $7 trillion under management, are saying that literally this is like a quote, we are at the edge of a fundamental re- redefining of finance. And they believe that purpose will be the, the driving room of profitability and growth for the future. So that is going to be guided the investment decisions as the biggest asset manager in the world. Earlier this year, they voted against the boards of over 50 of their investee companies because they didn't actually live up to their sustainability and environmental commitments. So you're seeing actually shareholder activism from the biggest capital market players in the world against businesses that they're investing in who are not adopting this change. Then you see new formations of capital. So Standard Chartered have, have committed 
$75 billion to the SDGs. You've got Morgan Stanley and Gold- Goldman Sachs creating climate funds. So all of these these large movements of capital in the world, uh, and remember as well that these are definitive in the way that they shift other other capital uh, holders in the, in their thinking, are moving in this direction. And there's a, there's a massive focus at the highest level of business. You know, you look at Davos. The theme of Davos this year was about stakeholder capitalism. Last month, they released a paper on measurement around sustainability and stakeholder capitalism that was contributed to by 120 of the world's foremost CEOs so they could create a unified standard. Then you look at ratings agencies. Moody is saying that in one in three of their ratings decisions, ESG factors are going to be material to the rating of organizations. So, you know, for a very um, CA-driven, financial director-driven organization, you start looking at the landscape change and the writing is on the wall there. Then, you know, coupled with that, there's risk mitigation. So I spoke earlier about that, the fact that they, they seem to be more resilient businesses if they are focused on ESG. And if you think of the fact that we're using, you know, the world's resources at 1.7 times the capacity every year you know that again you know smart thinking about regenerative use of resources of circular economy approaches is absolutely going to be foundational to successful business in the future then if you look at profitability there there are a number of studies that have been done The, the truth is they're not entirely conclusive and it's almost like whatever research and data you really are looking for. So if you want to disprove it, there's probably some data to disprove it. There's also a lot of data to prove it. So a 10-year study of profitability in high-growth companies, over 10,000 companies uh, were tracked over 10 years. And the top 50 performing companies were all higher-purpose-oriented companies. Uh, and if you'd invested in that portfolio of 50 companies for the next 10 years subsequent to that uh, study, you would have got a 400% return faster, uh, higher than the s and 500. So we're seeing, you know, purpose-driven companies are beating benchmark. They're showing more resilience. And, and that's purely on a financial level. I think on a consumer level, and we talk about society demanding change, the new generation of consumers like millennials and Gen Z particularly are coming through and saying like, we will spend more on sustainable products. Uh, in fact, we're going to demand them and we're going we're gonna to alienate products that aren't speaking our language in terms of sustainability and green uh, credentials. You look at employees and again, there's like the new wave of employees coming into the uh, into the economic landscape are choosing to work with businesses that align with their values and are doing good in the world. So Deloitte did a great study, you know, ultimately they'd found that less than half of the people in the world felt they were doing meaningful work. But we know that if people believe in the work that they're doing, that they apply disproportionate effort and discretionary effort uh, to the work beyond what they get paid for. So, you know, you think about this new generation coming through and it's going to drive us because they've grown up surrounded by the problems that potentially have been created over the last 30 or 50 years. Uh, and that's a generation which look actually at our generation, Mimi, and say we were too apathetic. And they are willing to stand in the streets and do you know, climate strikes with Greta Thunberg and put uh, not just their mouth where their thoughts are, but actually their, you know, their, their money, their activism, and their choices about where they work, where they shop, and so on. So there's a huge global narrative happening. You know, I almost can track it on a, on a timeline to say that World Economic Forum was introducing the idea of stakeholder capitalism. The B Corp movement was founded in 2013. And actually this year have gone the next level. So the, the initial idea around B Corp was to certify good businesses and change the idea of success in business for companies. Now they've allied with a whole coalition of like-minded 
movements and they've launched Imperative 21, which happened last month, which is really targeting economic systems change at the highest level. So they've written a white paper, they're lobbying governments. Um, the launch was on a seven-story high digital billboard on the NASDAQ, paid for by the NASDAQ, because ironically, the exchange itself supports this move towards stakeholder capitalism and regenerative economic systems. So, you know, on a very, very macro level and also on a micro level, I think this change is inevitable. Media is also helping. Think about David Attenborough's release, I think it was two days ago, on um, on Netflix. You know, it's a global sensation. And that is incredibly what he calls his witness statement, what he's seen in his life. So the media is now playing a role in saying, like exposing the truths of what we're facing and actually what we've done and what we stand to face if we don't change our ways. Um, I'll probably stop there because I could go on for another. You can talk forever. Yeah. And I could, listen, I could listen forever. And, you know, I, I interview lots of people, but when, I'm, when I hear people like you, Tom, that just, uh, you could go on. I know you could. I can see it in you. Uh, the data, the insight. I mean, you're so passionate about it, and it just makes me... Um, want to listen and I'm sure it makes people want to listen so you know there's probably a far wider conversation for the two of us to have I love that you brought up Greta Thunberg I talk about her a little bit in my book and I always love her quote she said in in 2019 she was in Hamburg and she said we are striking because we've done our homework and they haven't and I love it that just sums it up right that the, the young guys are totally aware of to your point what we did to the planet maybe not you and me we're pretty young not that young but pretty young but certainly those above us in the sort of 20 years before us what we set out for the planet and I think what Greta's saying and what you're saying is that there is now a change in people doing their homework there is a change in people saying hang on a minute this can't carry on like this so my sort of takeaway from all of that fantastic data you just shared is that yes you can balance humanism with capitalism we can balance the planet with capitalism and we can and we will and we are seeing growth um, so tell me, Tom, as we sort of start to sum up, if you could um, make one prediction for the year ahead in terms of change, you've just talked about this new white papers out, we've got seven story billboards going up. If you could just sort of uh, have your crystal ball and think of one or two changes that you think you'll see specifically in the area of people, because obviously for me, empathy, people, connection is is key. And there's a lot out there about, you know, can empathy inform the new capitalism? Can connectivity between us make change? If you had one or two thoughts for the year ahead, what would you say? Yeah. And I think contextually, it's a great question because I know, you know, you, you deal very heavily around the topic of empathy. And I thought, well, what is the role of empathy in, in conscious capitalism and conscious business? And ultimately, there's got to be an awakening. Once there's a realization that we have to change, what is the vehicle through which we can change? And I think empathy probably is the value that can become that vehicle. And if I look at what's happened over the past even six months, eight months with COVID, one of the first things that organizations tends to do is cut investments in people development uh, and in marketing. And I think crucially, businesses will realize now that we are in a new normal. I would like to think that it's our choice to make it a better normal. And I do believe that businesses will start to say, we need to reinvest in our people now. You know, actually, we've We've tried to save jobs, which is really a functional you know, proposition. Oh, you, you have a job, therefore you have a paycheck. But how do we become better in the future? And I think a lot of that will be influenced by how we invest in our people and take them on this new journey now that we've all had an awakening. You know, I really think the time in lockdown that we all spent at home trying to make life work with kids on our laps while we're you know, trying to have a, a webinar has prompted us to think differently about our roles. And so... 
I do think there'll be a reinvestment in people. I think also that leaders themselves will be looking for new forms of relevance uh, and that will invite them to be part of a bigger conversation. And uh, I know there's a, a lot out there for them to hold on to if they're looking. Uh, and so I'm seeing in my own work and I'm sure you are in your work, that leaders are very interested in what next looks like. And a lot of it has got to do with with people, with the ethos of business and the role that ultimately leaders in business can play in society. So there you have it, everybody. 20 minutes on the dot from Tom Fells, that leaders are looking for change, that they need to do that to stay relevant, and that the young people out there are going to force us to do it, whether we're ready or not. Tom, thank you. It was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And I'm so thrilled that there are people like you out there in the world that are encouraging all of us to change the way we look at the business world. As far as I'm concerned, if there were a few more Tom Fells out there, the business world in total would be better off. Thank you so much for coming. And with that, another episode of the Empathy for Breakfast show comes to a close. I would like to thank IQ Films, who produced this episode, and DJ Ciel for my soundtrack and music. Do join me online to carry on the conversation. I'm incredibly active on Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter, at Mimi Nicklin. I would love to talk to you all more. Meanwhile, spread the word, share the empathy. Because after all, the more the world talks about empathy, the more empathy the world will have. I'm Mimi Nicklin. Thank you very much for tuning in. And I look forward to seeing you again on the Empathy for Breakfast show.